In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Finally back in the UK. So uh redo it. Redo it. You broke up in the first part. Redo it. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm back in the UK, and there's no place I'd rather be than the Paul Brown podcast. Listen. Joined by my boy. Ian. Right, right, right. Who who was at the game? Great little I- combo here. I did, I did. It was unique. We had a we had a, a London podcast with nobody from London on it. And then we've now reached, as I kind of joked with uh, somebody before the game, I said December in Berea has come a week early because people were just offering me free tickets to the game since I was in town. They were like, hey, you want to go to the game? I've got an extra one for free. So, yep, I went there. I saw it live. Uh, good to get a win. I probably will finish the season 1-0 with my attendance record. So, something to build on for next year. Hey. I've seen three Browns games live and I'm still owing three. So one day. There, yeah, there you go. The nice part was, is I took the under. So the Browns won in overtime and it hit the under. So I was really worried that Tampa was like going to get a field goal and then it was going to be a field goal touchdown because it was 34 going in and I had 41. So I'm like, all right, I can't have a field goal touchdown. That'll screw it. But yeah, Browns took care of that. No problem. So now that you're no, back. It, Good. Sorry. It's a really, really important game because going into that game, it's officially season over if you lose that. It's still like the um. It's, I think the memes from Dumber and Dumber, where it's, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yep. There is a chance, which we'll get onto later. We won't get straight in there, but it was such an important game for it was officially season over. Oh, for sure. And I've I've kind of used this analogy with some of the other guys and. You know, it's kind of like a train, right? How many more stops can you stay on? And I will just tell you, there was there was a why. They lost this game and went to three and eight blouses. It doesn't matter if you run the table to go out, you're done. So by winning this game, because after they lost to Buffalo, after they lost to Miami, you know, it hit one of those points where they had to win a game that originally we were circled as being, we've seen the Bucks play drop over the time. I've said, it was we're looking at three and eight, four and seven going out of the post Watson or post percent era. So they got to four and seven. So they're pretty much on par with where I'm at. But Jack, whether is there any progress? Like who are guys, especially within this Tampa game, whether on the defense, whether on the offense, that we feel good about going in now for the final six games? So there's three guys on defense I want to sh- shine a light on, and nine from the Big key players. So um, we've got one at all three levels of the defense. So um, we'll start with the front. And um, it's Ben Stittle. Still. Uh, still. Uh, he, he was good. And we're only talking about a handful of snaps. So I, I will put that out there to begin with. I think with 11, 12 snaps. But they were really good. And yeah, it wasn't quite great last time. Um, but it was then really good in the past. And I, I think there's a little gem there and I'm not saying, Hey, he's going to be a starter and a great piece, but we have just had four bad players. If we have a guy then come in and play 15, 20 snaps a game and do a good job on those, that is a significant improvement on four bad players. The odd part is, is I was in the stands and I'm, I was in the dog pound side opposite of where Chubb scored the winning touchdown. And there was a play late in the game where Brady stepped up and I'm like, who was number 57? I was like, why do I not know that? And then I was like, oh, that must be the new guy they got. So Brady had stepped up and he got a hit on the quarterback. I mean, he didn't get the sack, but he actually showed up on the stat sheet in the sense of getting some pressure. Because as you mentioned, if you got Garrett and Clowney flying on those edges, you know, you're going to need guys that can clean it up. And I will just tell you from a defensive tackle standpoint, 
the first drive of the game. So Rashad white breaks off that 40 yarder to the left side and, Oh, the stands, the dog pound was hey, if this and Joe, I mean, Joe Woods could have hopped that Burke Lake run airport and been on a plane right then and there. They were ready to send him home. But then after that first drive, you could tell they made some adjustments. They started playing, you know, with the two linebackers set once, especially AJ Green went out. They started using that fields combination. He had a decent number of snaps in there. Um, JOK, you saw basically just didn't leave the field. I mean, he was out there. I think the most snaps of anybody in the front seven, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then Taki Taki. So they were like, all right, we're going to allow them to try to run the ball, but they were actually pretty gap sound. I was behind the play. So I could see a lot of the holes. There was actually some guys in the holes that they were supposed to be in. So listen, I'm not saying we should credit that all to Ben still in his 11 snaps, but for the ones he's in there, if he's going to make an impact, I'll take it. So next to the second tier of the defense, there's, there's one guy trending down, one guy trending up. And Taki Taki, unfortunately, is a guy that all the way up to the last three games, pretty much up to the bye week, I guess that'd be, um, it, it was having his best season. It's not been great since the bye week. Um, three poor performances. And I don't know if this is because they tried to move him from a Sam and go, Let, let's try and make you... Because um, he played some Will and was looking good there. I don't know if that's the issue. But on the other side, Tony Fields stepped up at two grim games before this, but had a nice game as a Sam linebacker. And that is bad news for Taki Taki because if he can become the Sam for the team, which they don't look to play lots of it, we're talking probably about 200, 250 snaps a game. Um, and it would probably even be less than that if they're leading in games because they probably don't need it as much because the other teams forced to pass. So you're in nickel and dime more. Um, that's a nice route to him being a special teams and Sam linebacker next season. So just want to keep an eye on. I want to see more than the handful of snaps he had this time on a repeat basis, but he could easily be the answer to Sam and Dion Jones. He's done at the end of the year. Wouldn't well, surprise me if he retires. Yeah, it could be one. And Dion Jones, I think plays a role, but one thing I noticed about Taki and when you see it live, you see things a little differently. So I think we knew, and I think the bucks knew this running shit. We're, we're, we're going to abandon this. So what they did is when they had Taki in the mic, Brady was going to this quick pass, quick screen type of game. So what happens is your responsibility is the mic against a guy like Brady isn't, you're not playing a spy, right? It's, we're not worried about Brady taking off with his 6.540, but you are tasked in a lot of the man coverage they were playing. And we'll get a little bit of that on, on Emerson, but Taki was matched up against running backs out of the backfield. And what was happening is, is Brady was getting him in space. So Brady was able to complete the checkdowns. I think Taki was targeted like six or seven times out of the backfield and he didn't have any pass breakups. And then to compound it, he was missing the tackle. So what's happening is, is people have started to figure out Taki Taki is great with straight line speed and he's moving kind of in an X formation. But when he has to try to cover guys out of the backfield, and we've seen this from him in the past is open field. He's not a great tackler and it's more of just because he stops his feet. He kind of comes up and just plants his ass and then tries to wrap. He needs to work on driving through the target. So if a running backs coming out, how many times do we see, you know, these safeties and stuff, they come up, they drive through that midsection and Taki needs to be a little better at tackling because there's definitely times he's out there missing arm tackles or he's not the primary guy getting them on the ground, which is good with a pursuit defense, but a lot of times he's not making the play in space that he needs to play. So I think that's kind of attributing to his poor, you know, performances in terms of, you know, some of his PFF grades and stuff like that. But it's now that he's the primary Mike, he's got to be able to handle these running backs coming out of the backfield, which is no easy task. I will say that as much, but if you do take him, you got to get him on the ground. And then next go to the, the secondary. I won't touch on Emerson because he's, he's just been really good. Um, but have we potentially, by a complete accident, found the answer at slot corner with Thomas Graham? And this is 33 snaps in the slot. I think it was 37 overall. So let's not go too crazy. But he looked good from what I've seen. 
and probably need to go back and take a, a bit more of a look at just him. But if he can do that role, even if he's just their fifth corner for next year and they go, hey, we'll work it out and see what you've got, I think he's got something. He obviously, I think it was like 100 snaps he played for Chicago last year. Um, looked good in those. No longer on the team. I don't know why. Uh, I think, did they change their coaching staff this year? So yep. it might have just been a new DC that said, oh, I want my guys. He's a sixth rounder, whatever. Well, they also um, they also drafted a guy out of Washington, Kyler Gordon. So they drafted a guy, and that so, I think pushed him out of the numbers game. I I I think he's got a real shot, and he's he's had no accrued seasons because he didn't have a full season in his last year. Um, this is one where the Browns could have him for another two years dirt cheap, and then he's an RFA the year after. So I I think that might already be your that be fifth corner Ward, Newsom, Emerson. Uh, Emerson, Green, AJ Green, Graham. I, I, I think our corner room might be done next year already. Yeah, Graham was one of those guys. So when AJ Green went out early with the head injury, he got kind of put in there. Everybody was like, 31? Is that? And then they showed him on the scoreboard after he made a play, and we're like, oh, that's Thomas Graham. And if you remember right, when he was coming out of the draft a few years ago, um, he was coming out of Oregon. There was a few guys that kind of had him slated. I know uh, Jeff Lloyd, the guys at Lockdown Browns, I think in most of their mock drafts in that day three, that later round, those six and sevens, they had penciled Thomas Graham in. And it's because he's a physical corner. He just lacks some of that quick movement speed. So what happened was, is, you know, AJ Green goes out and, AJ Green, obviously being an undrafted free agent, has been, you know, more than really you could have bargained for over that. But the Browns basically said, we're going to take Martin Emerson. We're going to put him on Mike Evans for the most part. We're going to take Denzel Ward. We're going to put him on Chris Godwin. And then in some cases, they they would shift some of the role formations. It, it was unique on one side. I was trying to figure out defensively what they were doing a lot of the times, just because I was trying to make sure there was not a bust. But they were kind of helping on the Godwin side. And I think it was more of they were worried about that quick shifty type of thing versus a guy who is just going to take off down the field because Evans really only runs like three routes. So I think they went to Emerson and said, listen, you handle these three. And then for the most part, the other guys, um, I, Brashad Perryman was in there for a couple snaps and I saw Scotty Miller, who I've always liked. But having Julio inside in the slot, sometimes you'd see him on Thomas Graham. And I think the idea was he's not the fastest guy in the world, but neither is Julio Jones. So he played really well to an extent where you're going to want to see more of them. But I really think that he's going to get most of his playing time likely on specials. I mean, that's a guy who that's where he's going to have to kind of make his bones is making some play on special teams, getting out there, being that fifth corner. Um, It's a good role for him. So if a guy like, you know, Ward goes down and you got to slide guys around, he at least gives you some, confidence that the guys are coming in because you know obviously you're going up against the bucks one of your corners goes down you're putting this guy in you're like oh boy here we go and to your point jack he held up pretty strong against a good listen i know tampa's offense isn't great but i mean when you have julio jones mike evans and chris godwin and tom brady you you gotta kind of factor that in and you know their offensive line's decent and obviously worse went down late in the game but for the most part i agree i thought i thought he showed that he belongs on an NFL field, which is really all you can ask for at this point in the season. No, and this, that's the challenge you want a slot corner to be up against. Can he manage against a proper wide receiver? And whether it's Godwin or Julio in the slot, that's a real test. It's not like he's out there playing against Harrison Bryant or even David Bell. Or like, you're not going to learn much against those two. Whereas hey, if, if you can deal with Godwin and... Julio Jones, that, that's pretty impressive. And it's proper wide receiver because that's where the NFL's go. And you've got to be able to defend three wide receiver sets. Yeah. And just to touch on a couple other guys that I kind of was watching, I was trying to figure out JOK, right? And he ended up grading out pretty well. I'll say this about JOK. I have no idea what position he really plays. He obviously sits whenever we go into our dime with our three corners, he sits almost as an alternative mic, him and Taki kind of play half, so to say. He just runs around. Like you just see him and he runs left and he runs right and he runs, he'll, you know, blitz every once in a while. He'll drop in coverage. He's he's almost, you know, when 
when draft time comes out, they talk about these Swiss army knife type of guys. I don't think you're going to be able to make him a traditional linebacker. He's just, he's just not that mold. But if I do have a situation where I have to kind of go to the three safety look and maybe, you know, Delpit or something like that, I think his versatility is good, but you know, I know we've talked in the past about the linebacker room and stuff. It's going to be very hard. He's morphing more to that kind of Jamal Adams in the box type of guy who just runs around crazily than anything. But he's an interesting player to watch because you really don't know what the hell he's doing half the time. Like you try to put him into a traditional box and he's just not it. The other guy, Miles Garrett is as impressive to watch in person as he is on TV. But how is it that we have nobody else that can sniff Brady's ass? I mean, Garrett is flying around the edge and Jack, I will just tell you, I have no idea. The officiating in that game was awful. Miles Garrett gets lassoed around the neck about two or three times a drive. And it's clear as day. And the scoreboard operator kind of trolls it. Sometimes he'll show the replay where you just see the, you know, the offensive lineman's hand get underneath his face and drag him down. He doesn't get, he got like his first holding call in three games, you know, this week, but you could throw one probably is one a quarter because there's certain times he's flying off the edge. He lines up probably good three, four yards outside in that wide nine and comes in at such an angle. It's it's impressive to watch, but Jack, there's nobody else getting pressure. I mean, listen, I sat next to an Alex Wright who luckily, you know, batted a ball down, but there's nobody else. Clowney, there's something going on with him. He just doesn't have the same burst. He's basically just stacking up. Now he did go up against Tristan Wirfs for the most part. So he does a good job of setting the edge, but Jack, we got to do something about this pass rush. Cause there is, I mean, at one point I think Brady was what 21, 24. It definitely needs to be a uh, second round. I, uh, a focus in the off season. Yeah. Uh, day two pick. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, they got to do something. Cause at this point, I will tell you when Miles did that spin move and got cleaned out by Shaq Mason, the whole stadium was like, Ooh. you could hear the groan because everybody watches him pretty much every play. So he did a spin move where he was coming back inside and they just teed off on him and they got him at that awkward thing where his arm was extended and he just ran off the field and the whole stadium's collectively like, Oh shit. No, no. Cause his arm looked dead. Like it did it in the season. So they got to do something because if, by God, he's not on the field. You and I could complete passes back there. There's just nobody around. So, but yeah, defensively, you know, what would you give him as a grade wise? Cause I thought they played pretty well. So it, it's tough against the Bucks because the Bucks only once this season have scored 23 points or more. That is a damning statistic for a so-called goat QB. I think he's pretty much washed. I'm going to be honest, he's about as washed as the Iranian football team. Good luck getting good luck getting home, by the way, to the Iranian <laughs> soccer team because uh, I hear the political party's not very happy with you. But, Jack, I would just tell you, Brady still has the arm strength. He does. He just doesn't have the accuracy downfield that he did. And in some of the cases, like, I think one, Emerson was beat. So, you know, maybe a guy makes that pass and it changes something. But overall, they held the Bucs to 4-15 on third down. 16 first downs, time of possession, 26-22. Um, let's see what else we got. Three sacks. It wasn't a terrible game. And you got to play it as a handicap. Since Paul's not here, let's give him a seven. So it was funny because I was thinking, is it six? Is it eight? And I'm like, it's really neither of those. You know, because, I mean, Jordan Elliott, hell, he even had a sack at one point. So the Browns finished <laughs> with three sacks. No turnovers, though. And that's why I think it's not an eight for me is I think – you know, they didn't get any turnovers against an offense that generally tends to turn the ball over a little bit more. And listen, we do this often. So write this down, everybody. Because seven is going to be the answer. The defense has not arrived. You were going up against a team that right now is just not firing on all cylinders. However, next week, they're going to be great because they're playing Houston and Kyle Allen or Jimmy Bufoots. Like, I don't know. The true test of this defense is going to be the culmination of this game plus Houston plus the next two. And I'm giving them the advantage. I'm stacking the chips in their favor because they're playing Houston and then Cincy and Baltimore, which they usually do pretty well against. But over these next games, I'm going to collectively grade the defense because for them to have arrived, and I used finger quotes there for all you listening, 
They need to play well consistently, consistently, and get some damn turnovers. Punch a ball out. Pick one off. Bat it. Hell, I watched in the Sunday night football game, a ball went off a guy's head. It bounced off his head and it was picked off. Get me a turnover defense. So other than that, you got the win. You stopped the GOAT three times in terms of game-winning drives. So I think seven's pretty fair and accurate there. Anytime my defense keeps the other team to 21 or less, I'm happy with it. Because in the modern NFL, if your offense can't score 23 or more points, that's on you. Um, So, hey, I'm, I'm game with that. Absolutely. Now, the Browns, I don't know if you may have heard, Jack, but the offense is going to look a little bit different next week. And in saying that, we'll focus on a few sides of the ball, or a few players on the offense, before we really move on to what we're going to see over the next couple of days. Jacoby Brissett, we've talked on this podcast about defensive struggles, offensive struggles at times. At the end of the day, I've I've said, you and I have both said, firing a coach for the sake of firing a coach is, was worthless because if it change for the sake of change is not progress. And whether you fire Joe Woods and bring in his assistant or whatever it is, you know, we talked about how Kevin Stefanski and the coaching staff took a quarterback who is a backup quarterback. He is one of the most likable backups in the league. And he gave them offensive efficiency that other teams across the league would, you know, yearn for. So let's hold off on the coaching staff purging here for people that are ready to run Kevin Stefanski out of town. Because again, Stefanski, Alex Van Pelt, Drew Petzing, they built an opening drive that led in seven points. And then you're right. It was a little bit quiet for the while. But when you talk about leaders, when you talk about why an offense that's led by Jacoby Brissett is so effective, listen to his press conferences. That guy is exactly what 53 guys on a team need to be like, not the defense. Defense after last game, before the uh, Bucks game, was all, oh, Job, roll, delp it. All these guys finger pointing and blaming in the shaman. No, we don't do that. On offense, guys like Chubb, guys like Amari Cooper, guys like Jacoby Brissett, those are guys that get it. So when you see a team go out and on fourth and nine, your star receiver doinks one off his chest and an entire stadium goes, holy shit, what happened? And Brissett says, it's okay, I got you. And, you know, Cooper attributes his faith in the Lord for giving him the opportunity. And that is great because when the ball came to him in overtime, he made the catch for set. You could tell how much that offense wanted to win for him. And it was impressive to watch. And that just shows you when you have a leader, when you have a true leader and not a guy that's a loud mouth, this is a guy that's just a happy go lucky guy takes blame on himself. And is just not finger pointing and throwing guys under the bus. It shows you guys collectively want to play harder. They'll push a running back into the end zone. They'll grab you and cheer whenever you win the game on a game-winning drive. They'll make a play. David Njoku, holy shit. This is what it looks like when you play as a team. Defense, take notes because for the next three weeks, like I said, we're going to be watching you. But offensively, do we give them a 15 because Anthony Schwartz got a touchdown, Jack? What do we do here? What do we do with the offense? One I want to touch on, and you mentioned the role of Kevin Stefanski with this team. I tweeted it earlier today about improvement. Yeah, that was a great tweet, by the way. Great tweet. Improvement in the players. So where did a quarterback grade for PFF 20% um, minimum threshold um, in the season before he was there to the season first season there? There's a slight exception with Cousins because the guy got fired um, after 14 games, John D. Filippo, John D. Filippo, um, and then he took over. So giving him a ho- the 14 games to the next year, not the three-game sample. But this is his OC and a head coach. So Cousins is the first. Pre-Kevin Stefanski, 26th was Cousins. First season, 6th. So that's 20 spots upwards. Pretty impressive. And he's been awesome since. Um, Mayfield... 17th up to 8th. Nice, and we know what happened to Mayfield afterwards. Um, Brissett, 15th afterwards, and lots of people think of him as bad. He, he's, he is your league average. If you want to look at what, what does average look like in the NFL at quarterback, 
it should be a picture of Jacoby Brissett. And that's nothing against Jacoby Brissett. An average quarterback is really good. And he's the sort of guy that if he was on four million every single year, you can win a Super Bowl with that. You can get to the playoffs with that. I'll caveat that, actually, just because his level of play around a good team where you're paying Jalen Hurts money rather than Deshaun Watson massive money is certainly in play that, hey, what would the Jets do to have him as their QB now rather than the mess they've had? They would be over the moon with Chicago. What would the Bron- What would the Bronco? What yeah. would the Broncos do? They'd be great. I mean, you're talking about the money they have high up. They had to purge their team to make Wilson fit. And in. then Deshaun Watson. So each of those guys is taken over. It's 26, 17, 15. Deshaun Watson's last season. I know it's slightly different because this is going back to 2020. He was third in PFF grade. So he's elevated everyone he's worked with. I think you're realistically talking about the floor of Deshaun Watson next year is 10th just because of what Stefanski brings to the table. Obviously, we're all hoping for better than 10th, but that's a floor. That is incredibly impressive. And I think Kevin Stefanski deserves a lot of credit. And people say, oh, there's so much more to being a head coach and elevating your quarterback. If you don't elevate your quarterback, you're not good. Denver, hello. Yeah. You're not going to be a head coach very long either. You're not going to be head coach. What What's impressive when you watch, and it's kind of odd because a lot of times you don't you don't think of these things. Jack, there was times when you'd watch a Browns game and you'd be the quarterback would be staring at the sideline at eight seconds, like what the hell's going on in the play clock. It just seems like the offense is very prepared. And I was talking to a Cleveland media person before the game, and I had said, I go. When you have adults in the room, and for those that listen to his podcast, you'll understand his phrasing there and who it is. When you have the rights, right adults in the room, it's amazing what potential you can unlock and what actual football, because a lot of times, you know, you'll go out and you'll just get beat that day. It's just not your day. You get it. But sometimes when a coach has that level-headed mindset that says, listen, we're going to be prepared. We're going to be ready. I mean, we talk about Belichick, why his guys are always prepared for these situations. Stefanski, Alex Van Pelt, and that staff that they've put together on offense just seems to have it figured out in terms of how they want the system to flow. It may not always work. They may not get Nick Chubb the amount of carries they want at the end of the day, and that's fine. But there is self-awareness on how we got to that point. Because, Jack, Brissett's at the line at 15 seconds, looking around at the defenses, understanding what's going on. The substitutions. I don't know how the hell the offense runs as efficiently as it does, and the other two sides of the ball don't. Because it's so just night and day different to watch. So... When you see this type of efficiency, when you see, you know, very few off instances where you're rushing and get delay of games, or you do dumbass things like Jeff Saturday did on the Monday night football game after your quarterback just ran 30 yards at my age, not calling a timeout, Jeff Saturday, you ain't gonna be coaching on Sundays very long. I'll tell you that much. You apologize, man. Yeah, but it, it's it's like with Watson, the biggest thing he has to do is play within the offense. I don't need hero ball. I don't need him to lead the league with 5,863 yards passing 56 touchdowns. If he plays within the offense and let's just, I mean, Jack, I don't know what the offensive EPA and all that other stuff, but aren't the Browns top five? Yeah, they're really, really good. Offensively. Uh, Probably top five. So they're right out there. Let's just say Deshaun Watson, hold the offense in the EPA of top five. If they are an offensive, efficiently offensive, offensively efficient, that's the word I'm looking for, top five, every year under Deshaun Watson, you will win games. You will win a lot of games because then that gives you the ability to figure out what's going on the other side of the ball. So I don't need hero ball. I just need you to make a couple of the throws that Brissett doesn't make because in spite of what I think of Watson, he is a better quarterback when he's firing than just uh, Jacoby Brissett is. In saying that, I'm happy he's going to iron out his kinks, no pun intended, against Houston, not a good team, because he can go out there, he can get the, you know, get hit a couple times, run the ball, see the game, remember the speed of the game, because it's so much faster than it is in practice. But I think the offense is going to pretty much be holding serve, because if they can go out there, Jack, and score between 24 and 30 points every single game, 
looking at this slate of games, these last six, Steelers, Commanders, Saints, Ravens, Texans. Jack, if I gave you 27 points, you're winning five of those six games. The only game you may have to score more is the Bengals. We'll see about that. But at the end of the day, when Watson gets in, use Chubb, use Hunt, use these guys, use their mobility. And who knows? Maybe Anthony Schwartz can take another reverse. Who knows? It was crazy. When he when he pitched that ball to Hunt on the left, you saw the entire Tampa defense just wash to that side. And all of a sudden, you just see this little man come sprinting past the tire track. Jack, he ran directly in front of me. There was nobody. I could see clear as day all the way to the end zone. And all of a sudden, you just see Schwartz coming around. And I will say this. He is fast. He can't catch for shit, but he is fast. When he turned that corner and it was him and Brissett, it looked like they were just charging down the field. I mean, it was pretty crazy. I will say that. So it was pretty impressive, actually, that Brissett overthrew him on that deep ball where he made a beautiful tackle as a wide receiver. But that's beside the point. But yeah, offensively, also, I will just say this. A lot of people are getting on the Browns offensive line uh, and some of their grades and stuff. That Tampa D line is legit. Vita Vea is a problem. That is a big dude, and he was chucking people around in there. I felt bad for Yell the Froholt. He was holding serve in there, but man, big number 50 was throwing some men around. So whether it was Wyatt Teller, whether it was Froholt, Jack Conklin on the right side, Vita Vea was doing some work in there. So for the Browns to get that running game going and just lean on him and lean on him, and great play calls by Stefanski in that two-minute drive to use those inside handoffs, I'm tired. I just felt like everything on offense was working pretty well in the first quarter. And just, in the just last two weeks. And it's the only two weeks of um, his season this year where he's had 10 or more special team snaps. He's had 12 and 16. He's put up really good PFF grades for special teams. And I know that's not a massive thing, but if Schwartz can just do, hey, some trick plays and that stuff, fingers crossed he can learn how to field a punt or a kickoff, then that's a player this front office we know would happily keep around and he's could effectively be a cheap version of Jakeem Grant. Um, not saying he will do it, but if he can, he's certainly one to keep an eye on. Um, he's going to need to step up with something at camp. Everything's trending towards he'll be back for camp next year and he's going to be on the bubble. But if he can either spend the entire offseason learning how to catch a punt and run with it, he could be onto something. Um, and I'm not saying onto something as he's going to be the next Randy Moss um, to Deshaun Watson. Just as a, he can do some trick stuff and he can take some sweeps, some random bits and pieces. Want to keep an eye on. I think a comp for him is Nicole Hardman, right? The guy for the Chiefs. He's very fast. The difference is when you got drafted to the Chiefs and you had all those other guys, nobody expected anything of them, so they weren't trying to run him out of dodge. Then Tyreek Hill left, and now he's in his third year, and people are wanting a little bit more from him. But what do you get every six weeks? He blows the top off of a defense and catches a long touchdown, right? He takes a reverse. It seems like every time on Sunday Night Football when they're on, he'll make a big play. That's really all you're looking for. If Schwartz can follow the trajectory of Miko Hardman, who I believe also was a third-round pick, he will solidify himself as having a role in the offense. And when you get deep, just catch the ball, just catch it. That's all you got to do. You are not asking to be Deshaun Jackson. Just make a contribution because he's, he's got a long way to go to get off my shit list for some of these drops. And according to Cami justice and a few of the other reporters, him and Watson have a decent rapport with throwing those deep balls. And as we know, Watson with fuller or with, you know, Cooks or even DeAndre Hopkins, he likes to stretch the field vertically. So if you have a threat like Schwartz being able to do it and you're able to complete it, it could add a little bit of the dynamic to the offense that it's lacking. Because the one thing I will say after giving effusive praise to this offense is when it gets stuck in the mud, holy shit, does it get stuck in the mud? Like it'll go two quarters where you're just like, we're just basically treading water for our punter. It's, it's, it's kind of wild how it just seems like we just get out of rhythm offensively and it takes somebody making a play to kind of get everything back in order. But offensively, those are the type of things I'm going to be looking at when Deshaun Watson comes back, because if all of a sudden it's third and seven and a play breaks down, Brissett probably is not going to be able to make the athletic play that a Watson can. So that's where I'm kind of projecting. 
I won't spend too much time on specials. Jack, overall, what would you give the grade on offense? I'm going to do a seven again. Because I, I, I just think they're, they're good without being amazing. Um, I think you've got to probably... The fact that you're scoring on a fourth down attempt is kind of less than ideal. Less than ideal. If they would have scored on fourth down, then lost in overtime, meaning we're taking away their game-winning drive with Chubb and Cooper, what would you have given them then? I would have probably been calling Kevin Stefanski a coward on a Twitter for not going for the uh, two-point conversion. Um, would certainly have been because I, I was screaming. I was like, hey, we're going for two-point conversion. And I think if you look at it, Jacoby certainly had that thought in his head because he's like, yeah, let's go. Uh, oh, we all did. It was it was Wilder Escott. All right, here's the scenario: they go for two, they get it. Brady comes down, kicks the game-winning field goal. What's the offense get? Uh, but what's the offense get grade-wise? Still, see, I would have said up into that last drive, I'd have probably given him like a five or a six. Yeah, I think that last drive bumped him from a five-six to like a six-seven. Yeah, I'd have said that because there still is some stuck in the mud play, and I thought offensively. We made some good plays. The opening drive, obviously, the Cooper drop. Give Stefanski this. He had the brass balls to go for that on fourth and nine. He had been dialing up that double move all, that double move comeback all game. They hit it, and Cooper doesn't drop that ball. I mean, Stefanski said he catches that ball 100 out of 100 times. I believe he meant to say 99 out of 100 times because I can cite one time when he dropped it. But overall, I think, yeah, six. If we give two sevens, do you think Paul ends up booting us off the podcast? So maybe we go defense seven, offense six, or go six and a half. Yeah, I, I can take that. Um, right. six, specials. Hey, Ford, he's not a bad little returner, baby. We had some decent returns. What We had one negative, one big negative. We wasted a draft pick on a kicker? Well, no. According to everybody out there, by the way, it was Corey Boriquez's holds until my guy Jay Feely, the soccer stud slash kicker, said, I don't think it's the holds. But honestly, that's good out of Boriquez to go and learn that trait over the offseason because obviously people had said it wasn't his punting power with in Buffalo or Green Bay. It was his ability to hold. And we know Green Bay special teams last year had a lot of problems. I don't have the same access to the to the film that obviously Jay Feely does. But I will just tell you, Jack, when he hit that 51-yarder, he hit it over the bar. Like, it was higher than the goalpost from 51. And when he hit the 40, there was an official that kept marking that the ball was tipped. I watched the only two replays on the TV copy. I didn't see it tipped, but I did see Charlie Hewlett on his ass. So I don't know if they hit the center and we didn't get the call or whatnot. But... I don't know if his plant foot slid and he just duck hooked it, but listen, you got to be patient with rookie kickers. So Jack, I could tell you this, this was pretty crazy. So the, the game uh, goes to overtime, right? So the fourth quarter ends and both suck up and York go onto the field and start like kicking some balls real quick. Suck up gets at the 35 yard line starts kicking 45. So, York hits three field goals coming towards me to the dog pound, which was then opposite of what they were going. So as soon as the uh, Tampa won the toss and elected to receive, uh, York kicked three balls from 45-55 going in the direction that we were going. Jack, he hit one from 66 going in that direction. Hit it. There was He hit it, and I'm like, holy shit. Now, there was about an eight to nine mile an hour helping wind going in that direction, but he hit it from 66 going in that direction. So the leg strength is there. He's got to work on trajectory. Jay Feely seems to think there's an issue going on with his plant foot. So who knows? Maybe our new special teams coordinator eventually will be able to get that ironed out for him. But there's a lot of potential with that guy. And I mean, in terms of getting rid of the kickoff returns and stuff, his ability to just put a ball through the back of the end zone to just eliminate that stress. I get it, but I definitely see why they grabbed him with a top, with a you know top four round pick because... He's got leg. Yeah, and I think, hey, I, I, yes, I'd rather have Isaiah Likely, um, tight end, but hey, we're here. Um, and that's something I said at the time. It's not just a hot take because he's, he's playing quite well. Um, I, you draft the leg talent, the power, because hopefully he can develop the accuracy. 
But let's just look Chase McLaughlin when we had him. You couldn't sit there and go, we're going to attempt a 50-yarder, let alone think it might go in. You just didn't attempt that sort of stuff because it it just wasn't within his range of outcomes. That's nothing against Chase McLaughlin, but that's the kind of player he is versus Cade York. And you're hoping we're going to get there. And it's not one that I'm rushing to any decision. I'm more, hey, if we get to the middle of the next season and we're talking about mistakes still, then that's the point where you go, look, is there someone better we can bring in or is it someone we can bring into a practice squad and really drive that competition to him? You go into this off-season with no competition in that entire room. I think Borquez has earned the chance to come back. Um, you've already signed Hewlett. Give York another, just go with it and spend the entire off-season really working on that and getting that nailed down because he, he's seeming to be able to do it when he's practising. I think we need to maybe give him some sort of get the people that in there trying to block it and that pressure rather than kicking against air. I think, I think if you're the Browns and listen, I'm going to tell you right now, that first energy field was not in great shape for those that live in the Cleveland area. You know, it rained all morning walking up to the stadium. We were getting wet. And I don't know if you saw this, Jack, some guy allegedly got into the stadium and hijacked a golf cart and was doing donuts all over the field. So there was some guys losing their footing, obviously, um, Carlton Davis, uh, slipped on that play to Mari Cooper. So there was some guys that were losing their footing. And if that's what happened on the 40 yarder, I get it, but you're right. We remember the Cody Parkey days where you knew that you couldn't even attempt a field goal outside of 50 yards without it being some perfect climate. And we've also seen over the last few years, how many games the Ravens have won just having a kicker who has the ability to hit that field goal. Let's not think all that long ago. Yes. 58 yarders against Carolina. You don't attempt that with several other kickers. And McLaughlin, I think, made one actually last night, but then had one blocked. But yeah, the Browns need to build a fence about 10 feet tall, set it about 12 feet in front of him, and tell him, kick, 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 to work on getting that trajectory up there because he definitely has the power. So now it's sometimes about maybe sacrificing the power to go with the height for some of these shorter kicks. But I do like Borquez. I mean, there was one punt he hit. I think the thing went in the air 77 yards. I mean, he hit it, and it was against the wind. It wasn't really that windy at the time. But I think it went 50. I think his net was 53, and he landed it five yards deep on a touchback. So I think the total net flight of the ball was like 77, 78 yards, and he lost 25 on the touchback. But he has the ability to flip the field when he when he lays into one. And when you get some of these windy days in Cleveland Brown Stadium, you need a guy that can kick that tight spiral. And he gets it up high when he needs to, and he can hit those low pellets as well. So if if Prefer pounded the table, I think Jakeem Grant was going to be a big piece of the special teams. They just got to get figured out what is the offense doing that the specials can do in terms of getting guys in and out. I understand with injuries, sometimes that's affecting maybe hire another coordinator guy or whoever it is just to make sure that you're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's because you need to start winning games on special teams. And Donovan Peoples-Jones had some great returns. I mean, there was no doubt about it. He set him up with field position in several different instances. It's not often that you can say, hey, our kickoff returns, we had two returns, average 33.5 yards, long being a 44. Donovan Peoples-Jones, five returns, 75 yards, long of 29 average of 15 yards on a punt. That's a first down and a half on punt returns. That is big. Part of it was when Tampa was kicking away from the, uh, the, the end zone that we scored on, they were out kicking their coverage massively. I mean, the Camarada guy, there was one where I think when field or fields, whenever Donovan people's Jones caught the ball, he had 20, 25 yards before the guys were even close there. So it's, it is a thing prefer is as animated as anybody on the sideline. I mean, I'll give him that he's getting his steps in because he is up and down the sideline and he's a very passionate guy. We just, we got to eliminate these red marks. You know, if, if York makes that field goal, I think that's as close to a 10 of, of special teams as we're going to find. I mean, make all your field goals, big returns. What's your grade then? What's the number? I got to go with an eight. I can't give you, I can't give you an A or an A plus if you missed the field goal that was 39 yards. I got to give you an eight. But yeah. it was one of the better special teams performances overall from a coverage standpoint, from a return standpoint, a punting standpoint. And we didn't do anything stupid and get tackled inside the 10 like every other team seems to do. 
Yeah, and there was a lot, lots of players that got positive PFF grades. Um, we're talking about, I think, six, seven guys. Um, so that, that, hey, it's not the end of the world, but it, it helps. Um, Baby so steps. I, I think they're in a really nice position. All the games are winnable now to end the season, which it's not they're going to win them all, but they're winnable because the two tough games are interdivision. And if there's one thing Joe Woods has done well in his entire time in Cleveland, coach against divisional teams. Yeah. And listen, you got three games left against the division. You're currently two and one. If you run the table, because you're right, it is doable. They likely will be favored five out of the last six games, four out of the last six. I mean, it really just depends. You know, obviously the hardest game I think is going to Cincinnati, but for the most part, you're not talking about any big underdogs. You're not going up against the Buffaloes where you're going to be 10 point dogs or anything like that. It's just one of those things where you have to at least get to five and one in the division. Cause if you beat the Steelers, the Bengals and the Ravens and you get to five and one, you hold the tie breaks because you gotta remember the division is what seven and four, the top two are seven and four. So you got to make up three games. If you're playing them once and then they play each other, you still have to get that extra win because in the event of a tie break, you want to have that division record because yeah, at Texans at Bengals home against the Ravens and the saints, and then at Pittsburgh and at Washington, I'm not really too worried about those games considering their end of the season, but there's a chance dumb and dumber. Like you said, you're telling, so you're telling me there's a chance. There is a chance. The question is how quickly does it take Deshaun Watson to acclimate to this offense and make sure that we don't have that offensive efficiency drop off from a top five to say a top 20, right? We can't lose five to 10 spots of efficiency if we plan on winning these games because of these last six games, these aren't the greatest offensive teams. So we're going to be staying on this bus, you know, on this train. We're gonna, we got three more stops minimum. I'm not going to put much weight into this Houston game. They stink. Damian Pierce is going to be a challenge in terms of the running game. And we can probably, we'll, we'll grab Paul. Paul is obviously out celebrating your big win there. Uh, unfortunately, our, our boy, uh, Hawaiian is not doing as well today after your three lions hung three goals on his ass. And the United States took down the ever so oppressive Iranian team. So we're moving on. He's going home and Paul is coming home probably at about four or 5 a.m. So it'll just depend on what Paul's up to. But outside of that. No, so obviously both through in the World Cup. That means what well, we're looking at another three weeks before England plays USA in the final. Um, don't worry about those orange menus. Smash the old Dutch. Um, they love self-destructing in the uh, knockout stages. It's usually the semi-final rather than the uh, this early. But you never know. It's tournament football. Um, and one funny. Um, so I was at Buffalo Wild Wings when I was out in the States. And um, they were saying, oh, yeah, excited about the World Cup. Look, we've got a ball chart on there. Typical Americans didn't really understand what was going on because they'd started filling in the wall chart after one game for progressing to the next stage. They didn't realise it was a round-robin group. They had just like put their name through um, for who won. So it was like England, um, some other teams. Whoever was winning the first games, they put their name through to the uh, quarterfinals. I don't know. So they, they just decided to skip the group stage and go right to yeah. group knockout stage? Just straight knockouts. <laughs> Well, I mean, for that sense, at least Wales would have drew in their first match instead of losing the next two. But I, I, I stand, uh, I say no more because I will tell you, my U.S. team is offensively is, it's like the, it's reminiscent of the Browns 2017 offense. It's that sticky at times, but they got the win today. Like I said, Paul's at the pubs. Who knows when he's coming home? But yeah, let's do a show later this week, break down, kind of see how the Watson atmosphere is going. Coming into the Houston game, I will say, I don't know how much you've been on social media today. There's been quite the talk of the lawyer for the people that were going up against Watson in the court is renting out a suite at the Texans game. That has become pretty much the talk of the town. I would just tell you it's not on that common. I'm sure that is a publicity stunt. I'm sure that they are doing it for many reasons because obviously, as you can see, everybody's talking about it. So if you don't really want to shine light on something, I recommend not retweeting, quote tweeting, all that other stuff. Cause really all you're doing is adding fuel to the fire. And if you're a Browns fan, you want to let this flame die out because I don't know if you, uh, you saw or not, but Shannon Sharp had Michael Vick on his club Shay Shay podcast. 
And he asked him what it's going to be like. And Vic gave some pretty sound advice. And he told him, it's not going to be easy. It's going to test you. When you're in that stadium, you're going to hear things and you can't react. You have to stay focused. You have to keep your, 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 you have to know your job. Watson is to keep the offense on track. Don't worry about all the stuff off the field. Don't worry. When you walk out of those white lines, focus on what you need to do to help your team win. Because like we've said, if they want a shot, at least we got to ruin that Houston draft pick. At least we have to do that. So outside of that, anything else you want to add? I mean, we've covered quite a bit here. There's a lot of meat sandwich stuff here. Um, Browns have made some small roster moves, but we'll get into all that really stuff at the end of the week uh, when we're talking about the, the Texans. Just to advise uh, listeners about a future show coming up, there is rumors of a 2024 podcast live from possible wedding. I have heard about that. I have heard that the, uh, the mic equipment may have to go across the pond. Just saying, yeah. uh, do we dare say that there may be one at a stag's leap uh, wine party that Paul is hosting? That one could be interesting. So there will be have... no podcast that day. Um, Some of you will have to read between the lines there. See how We'll see but, uh, how smart our listeners are. But yeah, I, I love that that's literally the first question Ian asked me after uh, I let him know about some news is, yeah. can we do a podcast live from wedding? I mean, it seems, <laughs> I, I believe I did one. So those are for the, that's for the history lessons. So uh, for all of you that haven't figured it out, you'll have to uh, read between the lines and figure that one out. So we don't break news like that on a podcast. But as overall, always, overall did you have fun in Florida? What's, give a grade amazing. to your Florida trip. 10, 9? Um, 10. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say 10. Just 10. Think, I, I, it, it could have easily been a 9 if it was hotter because it was just about right for me. Um, the final day when we're driving back to the airport, it was 30 degrees our temperature. So God knows why in Fahrenheit, but it was too hot. If it had been like that for more of the, the trip, I, I'd have been bringing that grade down because yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ginger and pasty. I'm uh, not meant to be in hot climates. Listen, I've lived, I've lived in this country my entire life and my skin isn't really, I'm slightly better than you, but still I go from shades of red back to white teeth too. So it's just these Western European roots. So. I think get bumped. There you the go. Well, uh, you 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 made me eat my words. My joke, my Joe Show crow there in your sunburn. So, just because of your colorful hat, you got me. That's right. absolutely it. So, all Loved right, it. great chat and great catching up. We'll uh, hopefully Paul makes it home uh, and doesn't get escorted. We got to we got to talk to him a little bit about his time in guitar. Um, but outside of that, yeah, we got knockout knockout stage football coming next week. You guys got Senegal. We've got the Netherlands. So. It'll be a good time. Little World Cup, little uh, American football. I got uh, nothing else to add. Who cares about that? Go I got Browns. nothing else to add. Go Browns. <laughs>